the last word I heard was perfect. It was also the first word I heard. Does, would anybody care to elucidate about perfect? Wasn't it an experiment to take to make a declaration that things are perfect? So you're making the experiment. Who was doing it? I think I've been the only one talking. No, Tara what? also. Tara, she didn't know there was an. She didn't even know there was an experiment, but she's doing the experiment anyway. Okay. <laughs> yes, I said it's perfect that there are only wonderful people here. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, just register your matrix points. What other what other news do we have from the crew? This is like there's the pirate crew. I was just working with uh, the trainer path people in Brazil. And there's a way we discovered there's a way that human beings, meaning us, take our own authority away. And we do, we take our authority away to survive. So we have this authority that would make us want to try things or we have a mission to accomplish, we have the goals or something like that. And then there's this power inside of us that says in order to survive, I cannot do the thing that. I might make a mistake. People would ridicule me. I might, um, I might fail, I might, uh, I might just, have a, I might disappoint people or upset people or break a rule or something. And so therefore I'm going to take my authority away to do this and stay in survival. And does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody have, anybody have any comments about that? Like why would we take our authority away? Our authority for living, our authority to live to move, to try things, to experiment. We take that authority away to survive. So why would we do that? Honest, go ahead. I think you already answered this, to it to survive. And if we are afraid about uh, that something um, gets us into trouble or uses too much energy. So we think, or I think I can't stand it. Then maybe I just leave the room and taking my authority away for deciding to stay in the room or to, to keep my standing. And so, yeah, to okay. save energy or yeah, to survive. I mean, why is surviving so much more interesting to us than living? Ingrid, I can't hear you. You have to turn your uh, mic on. Yeah. Um, because there is something in my, in, in my, it's something uh, like a memory in my in my body that if I try to live to be killed, 
So we kill ourselves because if we live, we'll be killed. Yes. I, I don't know. I've ever thought that's more neutral. It's more that when we're born, the first 18 years of our life or whatever, 15, are dedicated to survival. And it's like built into the human design that when we're babies, we need milk from our mother to survive and warmth and touch and a lot of other things. But it's, it comes out of this purpose of survival. And then everything that we, all the stories and the belief and all this stuff is like built on this, I need to survive. And, and so, and then there's no, no shift. Like, I mean, we've said it before, it's like, there's no initiation, there's no shift at 15, 16, 17, 18. But I think it wouldn't be so like, I don't know, it's so shocking for us or it's so depressing in a way like to face into all these survival strategies. But I don't think it's supposed to be so hard and depressing and crystallized. I think it is, it's possible to have a culture where for 15 years we're, we're in survival but preparing ourselves to live and then, and then it happens. Here's what I'm thinking is that an initiation that we can do, each of us can do this. And I propose this as an experiment to start is to select an identity from which no one can take the authority away. You choose an identity for yourself that no one can take your authority away to that. And like we've been in the mage training, we've been building an altar, like a mage altar. And in the, in the Muse website, I recommend building a Muse altar. So this would be building an altar to the identity that you choose. So there's Anne Chloe showing you, could you show it again? This is her mage altar it has some possibility stones and an archetypal lineage and a plant that she's taking care of as an experiment and things like that so this is this this is to shift to to choose an identity that no one can take your authority away i'm for me that has been pirate i have chosen an identity pirate and nobody can take that identity away because i'm a pirate you, nobody takes the identity away from a pirate. So it doesn't work. And so I've shifted into that identity rather permanently. And, and it has been working for me. And so I encourage, like, it's, it is an, an authentic adulthood initiatory process to choose for yourself and identify with an identity from which no one can take the authority away, regardless if it's the president of the like Elks Club, they cannot take your authority away. And then, and then honor it, like honor it. And so, so let's say you get, let's say people are offended. Let's say people react. Let's say people are confused because 
Thank you, Hannes. Is it still is it still like that, or is my breaking up, or is it working? And Chloe, it's working, Jeff. Thanks. So choose this identity. Choose this identity so that no one can take your authority away, and then um, refuse refuse to leave that. And if you know, we have this fear, okay, somebody might be offended, somebody might be afraid of us, somebody might be confused, and they don't, they don't know who we are now, or they think we're fooling ourselves. I mean, I think it's fooling ourselves when we allow our authority to be taken away from us and go into survival childhood reactivity, rather than being our experimental edge worker adult selves. So that would be an important initiatory process to, we could actually do. You don't, you don't have to ask somebody to do that. Nobody can stop you from doing it. Nobody can do it for you, but nobody can stop you from doing it. I mean, before I was packing up all my stuff, I had a complete pirate outfit that I had built most of it myself and collected it over years with a real sword that was a, a, a true sharp, saber exactly like Johnny Depp had in the movies for Pirates of the Caribbean. It was a stage prop. They made a hundred of these swords and I bought it online from the, some lady in Hamburg who needed the hundred bucks and I got the sword. So, so, so get your, you know, build, take on the costume, take on some artifacts, take on, build an altar, like give yourself a different name. Like do whatever it takes, a code name or a secret name and use, um, that's where Harbi Gar came from. This word Harbi Gar that we use in possibility management, it came out of this shift of identity to pirate. So I don't care, there's plenty of room for more pirates, but there's also plenty of other identities that you can take that nobody can take your authority away. I won't give you ideas because you guys are all geniuses. You can come up with your own ideas. So. <clears throat> How many people will do that before our next meeting? And at next meeting, you, you will tell us what your shifted identity is. And maybe even show us your altar, you know, when, you, when you're going around. Great, thank you. Cool. And if you did not put your hand up, you can still take the authority to do it. So I like this game because it works like that. Jeff, go ahead. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. I want to add on to Anne Chloe's story about being built to, you know, built to survive at the beginning of life. And I think, you know, just like the computer, the computers these days are built with the assumption that they're going to be plugged into the Internet. And that's where you get all the updates from. We don't even have CD trays anymore. Like the human was built to be in their community, in their network. And so, you know, before it was you stayed in your tribe or you got ousted and you died. Like you stayed in your tribe forever. And so we're like in this new thing with this old software and it's fucking painful. Like it's every time a community dissolves, it's like death. And I feel that and I felt it. And I actually was doing a process this morning about like how much I keep, I hold the reins of like, of leading or being in control of something because I wanted to keep it all together and I wanted to keep going. Like there's this men's group that's happening in Tulum and I'm leaving Tulum and I wanted to 
keep going so badly and like I'm doing like everything possible and I and I'm already feeling the pain of like it's that knowing that if once once I leave it's probably not going to happen I'm feeling like a failure like I didn't do it right enough I didn't prepare it I didn't make it sustainable and like yeah just it's been that was a really this makes me just really angry because we don't have these like communities forever anymore so jeff it's a new kind of tribe you know i don't get to see you guys off and on you know i don't eat breakfast with you guys you know i don't i don't have to stand in line at the bathroom while you're taking a shit you know i don't i don't get to live with you guys so i see you guys online sometimes or in other groups and it's it's like there's this new kind of tribe where where your your authority your survival does not depend on being uh to fitting in or matching other people's expectations something like that yeah I, actually thank you i i i wanted to say also that that i yeah, we stay in these groups that like don't are maybe not serving like I I've stayed in groups that are not serving because I didn't want to go off into the unknown. Like I didn't want to, to, to do that. And, and there's also the other part of me, which is like, well, I just wasn't making it work for me. And I'm just kind of wrestling with that. Like, what is it? What is the truth? I mean, we're in this conversation together, you know, going on a year. And if this conversation is, what is next culture? What is next culture relationship? How how does how do you create love in in a in this new culture where there's radical responsibility? There's new distinctions. There's a whole there's a whole set of new thought or with regards to space, like ordinary, extraordinary, and archetypal spaces. There's all these new skills about low drama and gremlin and box and all these distinctions. So how do we're, we're in the middle of inventing it. So how, how is it? How is the tribe? How, how do we be when we don't have to survive by being accepted in and matching or fitting into other people's expectations or their traditions of the tribe? You know, if we broke the traditions, we get kicked out and die. You know, so that's, that's been in us for 100, 200,000 years. So we've got a new thing going, which is, okay, the traditions may or may not work. In fact, the traditions are exterminating life on planet Earth at the moment. We need whole new traditions. So even abiding by the old tradition excludes you from a living community. Okay, so then we need new traditions. What are the traditions? And one of the traditions could be this amazement and respect at meeting another person, another character that you cannot take their authority away. They will not give their authority away just to survive. And so if you did not have to give your authority away just to survive, who would you be? I mean, the, I mean, I think that's a lot of what these are, these emotional healing processes are about is freeing ourselves up from these habits of conforming to our childhood survival pattern because that worked in the old family with mommy and daddy, you know, and then 
So that's the only reference point we have. And since we're, since we're, we're starving for adulthood initiatory processes, you know, but the thing is, who do we become if we're initiated? Who do you become if you're no longer conforming to your mommy and daddy's your customs and traditions? Because so then you become something that you that you have your own authority. Go ahead, Tara. Yeah, I also wanted to like say about that that I feel that modern culture is not really asking you to be as big and wonderful and beautiful as each of us can be. It is not asking for that. And so we've been taught to just not even go there and to not experience ourselves in our bigness and brightness and everything. And I think that next culture can be the place for this because this is what next culture is asking for, for everyone to be as big and shiny and beautiful as each of us can be. And yeah, so I think we've all been taught for so, so long time that this world is not even asking for that, that this, but it is, that's the thing, it is. So here is this space, you know, every Monday we have this space for a couple hours and this space is about that. You get to be big and shiny and daring and you don't have to give your authority away and you can be an asshole or you can be sweet and angelic. Like it, if that's what, you know, you get your, you have your authority. So after you get off the call, why would you ever go back? What stops us from going back? What, I mean, what stops us from staying, you know, staying in the, the, the shiny, the brightness, the brilliance, the, the geniusness, what stops, what stops you, what causes you to fold it back up again and put it back in the drawer until next Monday or whatever, however you're doing it. I've been noticing in my 333 this morning and in other times, these unconscious mechanisms I've been catching myself doing. I, in 333 this morning, I caught myself letting my numbness bar go back up. And, and, and I noticed, and I, I was like, no. And what you're talking about, about how there are these mechanisms happening that I'm, I'm so used to them. They, they're like normal. I don't, I don't even know I'm doing them until I give my gremlin the job of catching myself and, 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 and then just, and then sometimes when I've had it, especially when I've had a chance to talk with Brianne, who I live with now, and we can be like tracing the mechanism back and finding the emotional pro healing process that'll, that'll kind of just be the, the root that kills the mechanism that stops powering the mechanism. And it, and and in a way it's sometimes sometimes it seems like there's so many mechanisms happening in so many different ways that it's daunting and yet shifting identity into like the the mechanism finder and the and the mechanism tracker and scanner and killer and and has become such a big adventure 
And yet, even some mornings, I wake up noticing, like, in a different adventure, in and not in that adventure. And it takes me a while before I'm like, oh my God, I woke up with my numbness bar up to my eyebrows. And I, ah, and then, you know, I can have that anger that's like, ah, down you go. And some sadness maybe, and not stay there. Thank you. I want to share a mechanism that I found lately. And it's just like what you were saying, Nicole, is this thing has been happening my entire life without me being noticing. And, and it's this um, mechanism that when I have a tension, when there's an unanswered question in me, and then it creates this tension. And my survival thing was to find an answer, to find a, a quick fix, to find a solution. But then I started like somehow noticing the tension and then, but I would still, I was still trying to find the solution, um, fix the problem, like make it go away, say this is not important, whatever. And, and then I would go back and now I started going back to the tension and like being okay to be in the tension. And then actually there's so much food and like so much excitement and so much life in unresolved things and like unresolved tension and i've been so that's one of the strategies that i've been working with and i it doesn't seem like there's a an emotional really healing process behind it but it's just this practice of like breathing into the tension and and also leaving the door opens for what are the possibilities if i keep the tension going what is the universe going to offer me as possibilities yeah. Thank you. That speaks, I think, to this thing about how sometimes it's an emotional healing process that that there is to do, and sometimes it's just the the decontaminating the behavior and just cat. And sometimes I think it's the emotional healing process that helps me notice the mechanism. And then from there, I can see it sneak back in as my usually gremlin and child behaviors and decontaminate them out and hold them and get back to like return again to that adult place that my emotional healing process like ended me up at. I mean, part of part of the purpose of having this sort of gradual, persistent or consistent time of coming together is to is to build up a taste for extraordinary spaces, build up a a longing or a like being okay. It's scary at first, but being okay, like Anne Chloe said, with this tension of What's going to happen next? What's the agenda? You know, what's the, who knows what's going to happen in this group? You know, it's insane. You know, this is called a study group, you know, but, but it's really more like a, a discovery journey group. But, but then there's a book and we keep reading from the book. And so there's this, it's not really predictable what's going to happen here. And so 
developing a taste for such a taste for extraordinary spaces that once the phone, once we get off the screen to refuse to get out of it, refuse to do whatever the thing is that sucks us back into ordinary, just to refuse. So, so like Nicole, you started to say what you're refusing, but what, what is it? What do you refuse if you were to stay in ordinary, if you were to, to stay in extraordinary, refuse to go back to ordinary, what would you be refusing to do? To stay in extraordinary. What I know about it so far is, has a lot to do with my numbness bar. And it's also, it's as if there's like a cylinder around me that I let up that has this, these motifs on the outside that are my good girl, like pleaser, like that's what I'm facing the world with. And to keep that down, it's like, it's like a hula hoop that has a, a, a diamond hard curtain and to keep it down and to let myself, let myself be with whoever's and whatever's on the outside of me without that in, in between us. That, that's what I know about it today so far. Thank you. Somebody else, what could you do? What would you have to do to refuse to leave extraordinary spaces? And I just want to say, well, you guys are thinking about this is uh, there's this website shift identity that is not complete, but it has some really cool stuff. It has some really hints about this whole uh, getting not knocked unconscious into ordinary uh, identities. Uh, I'd like to answer that. And it's, I've, I've been experimenting like a lot with this being here in, in, in Mexico. And it's just, I take responsibility. Like I, I just take responsibility to make the, make shifts happen. Like, you know, it's, just, it's, you know, I just asking the question, saying the thing that nobody's saying, like just, and, and letting the, letting chaos happen, not, not being afraid to like, not, not letting my fear guide me into the storm. Yeah. How do you detect the storm? It, it's an energetic thing. I, you start, start to feel the energy rising. The, the, and it's almost like feeling, I've had, I've, I was in a situation the other night where I felt the space between me and the other person getting bigger and bigger. And, and that's and the how the distance I, between you, like the distance yeah, between you. Yeah. Like it, we were sitting in, we were sitting in the same, like we weren't moving, but I felt I felt the distance getting brought wider and wider. And, and, and for me, I, I usually notice it's like we're on a field and we're on opposite sides of the field. And, and that's, and, and it's like the field's getting bigger and bigger. It's like we're, we're playing against each other. And that's, for me, that's the storm because I do believe that it's about coming together in unity and oneness. And then when we're, when we split on opposite sides of the field, that's the storm. That's, 
you know, kind of doing less or, or achieving less of what I'm trying to achieve in my life. And at the same time, being with it and letting it maybe even get farther and have that be the way that we wrap around to then be on the same team again, you know? Like separation. Yeah. And there's this, we just were talking in the Brazil group about how one woman had this question. She wanted to know if these two guys talked on the phone behind her back and were in fact manipulating her with a, a pretending like there was a decision being made in the group, but it was in fact already being made. But she could not ask the question. She could not ask the question because she was too, there was something in the way. And so, and so it was like, it was, it was, she was able to ask the question in the group. So it was like, it was like saying the things that we hesitate to say, like the, the, ask the questions we hesitate to ask. Like, what are you noticing? What are you feeling? Putting it on the table. I've, there's this tension, put it on the table. I'm scared, put it on the table. Like that. I mean, so we're in this part of the book. I'm on page 141. We started this section about holding and navigating space. And so we distinguished Can, between energetic space and physical space, where the physical space is just the walls, the tables, the chairs, the ceiling. So that's physical space and it does not change except through cataclysmic uh, re renovations or something like that, repainting the walls, putting up physical objects, moving things around. <clears throat> and Chloe, what was that? Thank you. I wanted to, before we shifted into reading the book again, there's this, you're asking like, how do you not go back to ordinary? Or how do you notice? Or how do you, and I think there's also this thing about like, not knowing where I am. Am I an ordinary? Am I an extraordinary? I have no point of reference. And I was actually reading this in the shift identity. It was this, then reveal yourself. And then it has this hint about saying, revealing yourself is not about talking about other people, even what you think about other people or, um, or, or complaining or blaming, or that is not, that's, that's the fake, I don't know, it's like, you know, I mean, we do, we make this distinction in possibility management about feelings and emotion, and, and it's like pouring out your emotions, it, it is not you. Pouring out your child is not you. And so, but, and the invitation was, and I, I'm like, okay, this is really something I want to try is, just try something, say something non-linear, say, say whatever, even if I, and, and it was like, even if I think that is not me, because there's so many ways that I don't know what I can be, or what are the possibilities that I, that I could be, and so, I mean, I think at some point, like, in some ways, I'm still trying to look, okay, what would I say, and, it, and it's like, and it's such a, 
it's like a fantasy world it's like okay which instead of just saying something and being okay or what was my purpose or does that work or if, if it doesn't work i try something else or in it being in modest like try something and and i think that's uh i'm gonna try that more beware <laughs> hey, it's not just me baby you're talking to a lot of people around the world get ready folks the chaos is coming welcome chaos <laughs> thank you nicole go and chloe <laughs> and me too me too i'm with you in that one I wanted to say something connected to this, I think, which is I've introduced to my, the group that I meet with almost every day um, to talk about our feelings about living with somebody who has depression and uh, not a particular person, but that being, you know, living in community as we are with somebody who is depressed and um, it's been already interpreted as um, what should we do if someone's depressed? And I've corrected it. No, actually, I want to talk about what are our feelings about that? Because I know I have a lot of feelings and I figure other people do too. And, um, and, and I've, going into it, I felt like, okay, this conversation is going to happen. It got scheduled and everything. And then um, it came up again and someone asked, what's that topic again? And somebody explained it their way. And then when I said, no, it's about how do we feel? Um, somebody, a very influential person went like this and laughed. And I, um, I immediately was hooked and triggered. I, whatever I was, I was probably all of those things. I just, um, I would have loved to come in with something nonlinear at that moment uh, and to reveal self, uh, what Aunt Chloe just said, to, to say, yeah, this is a, a really big question for me. And, and I see this is your first, you know, this is what comes up in you when the question is asked instead of getting, you know, like you shouldn't do that or that was the wrong thing, you know, which is a very common response that I have in, my, in myself. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm interested in this question of, in the, invitation or the suggestion that I could select an identity that in which I can bring up an unusual subject like that and be able to hold it, you know, actually be able to sail that ship and, and not um, cave when it runs aground a little bit. We're voting for you. 
We are, the, all these are votes. We want you to you. play full out and succeed in your experiment. Yeah. I don't, I don't care if every time I come on the screen, the person wearing the blue shawl and the oftentimes a blue hat has a different name on the screen. That would be totally okay with me. Like Habet, Habet changes her name all the time. It says Kidan now. So what? It, so you can you have to call her Kidan. And who is that? God, I don't know. But go Kidan. <laughs> Janet, for example, go ahead. Janet, are you saying something? No, I didn't say anything. I'm okay. here. I'm just I know here. you're here. I just thought you were going to say something. Okay. Welcome. Okay, so I'm interruptible. The book is not. So, so I'm going to start reading the book and I can be interrupted, but the book is just black and white letters on the paper, you know, so it's going to go on and on, but we can be interrupted. So interrupt at any time. <clears throat> So I'm back in the book and we were talking about the difference between energetic space and physical space. And it's a huge difference. And a lot of relationship is not physical. It's, we have this model in our mind and we think of relationship as this thing <clears throat> that we can have or we can lose. We talk about relationships. I have a relationship my relationship is broken, I lost my relationship, we're talking about it like a thing, but the thing, it's really, it's really energetic, and so I was talking with somebody the other day, and it, like, they walked in, and they said, well, I walk in this group of people, and I'm, I'm not connected to anybody, and, and it's like, how can you not be connected? Because all you are really is an energetic field and fields, all they do is connect. They resonate, they harmonize, they intertwine fields. We're field, we're field effect. So you walk into a room, you are already connected with every single person and you are scanning and you can, find, you can scan and in less than a minute, you can find somebody exactly like your ex-partner so you can play out the same gremlin low drama shit from your box that you did with your previous partner, with the new person. And everything will feel just right. That'll be the person you're attracted to. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So, yeah, okay, well, so you're already connected with everybody, then just try a different experiment. That's the thing, just try something different. So it's okay. So if you extend your responsibility to include energetic space, it gives you the possibility of navigating energetic spaces. When you take responsibility for your awareness of energetic spaces, for being an energetic being, then you can navigate energetic spaces. Navigating energetic space is not much different from driving a car or playing a video game. So when you're driving a car, there are, are solid objects around, but you are moving. You are moving. So, and there's places to go and places to not go. 
you go the wrong place, you crash. If you go the right place, you get somewhere different. And so this is how navigating energetic spaces is. You can crash them and, and then you can go to someplace different with them. By navigating space, you can choose which direction the space goes, or you can choose when and how to leave one space and enter another space. So there is so much cool stuff about this actually online already. For example, even in the Create Possibility website, there's these whole sections about doorways and about shifting from one space to another space, navigating space. So I'm reading the book again. It is worth looking again at the map of navigating the space of relationship. I'll show that to you in a second. The, the awareness to develop is that we, we, you, you are choosing every moment which space you will go with in, in the space that you're in, in the space of relationship can go. It can go to ordinary human relationship. Your space can go into extraordinary human relationship and your space can go into archetypal relationship. You choose which quality relationship space to enter in each moment through the way you hold and navigate energetic space. You are choosing in each moment with each gesture. I'm gonna try this really dangerous thing of screen sharing again. Here we go. I'm gonna chain, I'm gonna share this and I'm gonna do this. And here you have a diagram navigating the space of relationship. So here, here is the guy, here's you, you're sitting in the car. It could also be a woman, except it's just, this is in the old days of trying to draw pictures by hand. It's a space of your relationship. It's drawn as a cube. Obviously a man drew this. You know, a woman would never draw the space of relationship as a cube. You get this? Never in a million years. It would be some kind of, infinity shaped flower thing with water flowing outside and stuff like that. Okay, but this is simplified for, so men can understand it. And he's got a steering wheel. And the steering wheel is where he's driving the space. Well, look at that. You've got three choices out in front of you. You could crash your car into ordinary human relationship. You could complain, blame, you could, do low drama, you can try to hook people, you can do feed your gremlin, you can insult somebody, you can stay numb, raise your numbness bar. This is all ordinary human relationship. Everything you're doing is feeding ordinary human relationship. Or you can drive your space, you can navigate it into extraordinary human relationship with a different set of behaviors. You can notice you can appreciate, you can take a stand, you can compliment, you can um, invite, you can go nonlinear, okay? There's an unending list of ways, possibilities for navigating a space of relationship into extraordinary human relationship. Or you can drive that space into archetypal relationship. Well, archetypal relationship is this beautiful, pristine, 
endless set of possibilities that ends up being true. It's, it's just, it has a way of calling forth the, uh, a deeper kind of authenticity that is difficult to speak with about if you're not already in extraordinary human relationship. So you can't actually get to archetypal relationship except through ordinary human relationship, ordinary human, ex, sorry, through extraordinary human relationship. Extraordinary human relationship is adult, it's adult. And we have to call it extraordinary because in modern culture, we are not initiated into adulthood. So it is such a rare thing to encounter an adult human being or to have an adult relationship experience that we have to call it extraordinary. But through that, if you have decontaminated your adult ego state from your child ego state, your gremlin ego state, your parent ego state, if you decontaminate your adult ego state and you can stay there, all of a sudden you have access to archetypal. And so that's, that's the map. I am stopping the screen share. Good. Okay, good. Any questions about the map? Pretty straightforward, even men can understand it. All right. Holding space means taking responsibility at the level of energetic space. When, when I first started learning about holding space, I thought holding space meant controlling the space. This is a true story. Some of you have heard it before. I became a fanatic for details. I would grip onto a space so tightly that I would not let anyone move or create anything at all in that space that was out of my control. In that way, the space would not get out of my control. But after a while, I started noticing that nothing actually happened in the space. It was such a petrified space. It was cold dead, stiff, with rigor mortis, and somehow I had to loosen up and still hold space at the same time. I had no idea how to do this, how to relax and find some way to allow movement without taking my hands off the steering wheel. So about six months later, not proud of being a slow learner, but this is what it took about six months later, I found that I could fill a space knee deep with a kind of energetic mud. It was a sleepiness from the waist down. From the waist down, it was this tar. And, and that induced by my own fear of chaos. And so people were permitted to think and talk, but they were strictly not allowed to feel or take any surprising actions. I thought I had found the solution to holding space because there was a greater freedom of movement and yet the space would not be out of my control. Unfortunately, the movements were tedious and inauthentic. So anybody who moved had to struggle against this tar. And so it was just inauthentic. It was like trying to dance while carrying a, a 45 kilogram bag of cement there was no real aliveness 
nonlinearity or flow. During the next six months, I experimented with letting myself be more and more afraid and still staying functional. So this is a big hint for relationship is let yourself be afraid and functional. I was terrified of the freedom I gave people to create anything they were moved to create in each next moment, while I still retained responsibility for what happened in the space. Me being afraid but not paralyzed permitted the other people to safely erupt with joyous nonlinear creations. Far deeper conversations and interactions could take place than I had ever before suspected. My fear became an ally. It gave me a sensitivity to more and more influences. I discovered that spaces had wings like an airplane. And if I could permit a space to zoom fast enough along the ground, I could pull back on the steering wheel with my attention and we would lift off into completely unexpected angles and dimensions using both bright and shadow principles as fuel for accomplishing the creative task set before the team. So the next level of space holding came as a major box expansion for me. The expansion occurred when I allowed the Clinton personality box who was holding this space to be replaced by a more expanded set of possibilities, namely the space holder box. So instead of being Clinton, I became a space holder and a space navigator. As the specific tendencies of the Clinton show relaxed, a more neutral space holder took its place. This not pre-programmed space holder could shift character according to what was wanted and needed. And in various circumstances could be the father, the man, the husband, the sexual partner, the friend, the enemy, the whining victim, the trainer, the clown, the research scientist, the meeting leader, the artist, the theater performer, or others the space holder was no longer representing the usual Clinton channels with habits and restrictions that I knew. Instead, I created and held a space through which the principles that I serve could do their work. And I was continuously surprised, sometimes even shocked by the words, attitudes, speech patterns, behavior, strategies, opinions, and expanded character traits that I exhibited. I shifted from controlling the energetics of a space to navigating the energetics of a space because I was moved by a different purpose. No longer was it Clinton's purpose, it was the purpose of the principles. Suddenly the relationships I was in and the projects I was doing became far more freed up interesting and productive than before. This is a story about this journey. If you place your expanded field attention on the whole of the space you are holding, for example, the entire room that you are in right now with people, 
So just do that right now. If you can take your clicker and expand the space that you're holding to include the whole space that you're in right now and all the objects and people in it. So even if there's two people in the space where you are, hold the space for yourself and the other person together. And so like Keon, you guys are two people in one space. You guys can both hold the same space at the same time, as long as your purpose is not in a conflict. If you have a conflicting purpose, then that will come to the surface. But if you're both holding the same space at the same time and you have the same purpose, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. And you have two space holders in one space. And that's what, we're, that's what we do in trainings is in a lab, for example, we have a room from, full of 25 or 30 people all holding the same space at the same time because we have this purpose of going on this journey together. We have this extraordinary transformational journey to go together and that is our purpose and we can all hold various parts of the space at the same time. So your life can be like that. Let's see, or even if you or the other person are not even in the same room, but in the same space, like in this conversation, and you declare that space as distinct from all other spaces, which is what we're doing here. This space of conversation that we're in, especially the people with your screens on. You know, there's people here who don't have your screen on and I have no idea what you guys are doing out there. So you're probably in some kind of a mixed space you know, oftentimes in a mixed space, this it's fine, it doesn't matter. But this, all I'm saying is, when you have your screen on, when you're sitting here, when you're participating, we're in the same space at the same time, and, we, and you get this sense of holding this space together. And that's, your your life can be about that. So, So this is like, and you declare, that this, we declare that this space that we're in is distinct from all other spaces. So this is not just a, uh, the television's not on in the background. You know, our mom's not over there washing dishes. You know, we're really, we're in this space in, in, uh, in a particular evolutionary conversation. There are people listening in doing other things, but the ones who are co-creating this space, we're in this same space together because then we get the ability to name the principles that the space itself is called into existence to serve. And so we're talking about the bright principles. And so for example, we could name what bright principles are at work in this space, but I would hesitate to say that they're the same. I would say that each of us have relatively resonant bright principles that are at work in this space together in this journey. So while you proceed from one space to another space as part of your work together, or our work together, we enter the first action when we enter this space together here is to recognize and pay respect to the presiding deity of the space. I'm not sure how many of you have heard that phrase before or that name before, but every space has 
what you could call a presiding deity of the space. So for example, they're usually located, for example, if you walk into a physical space like a shop or a bar or a cafe or a, sto a store, whatever, you walk in like the post office, you walk into the building and right above the door, behind your head, you walk in right up, people do not usually look there. That's where the presiding deity of a space is. And when you walk into a physical space, part of your attention can go up there and say, hello, presiding deity. If you do that, whole other kinds of things can happen for you in those spaces because you've acknowledged basically the space holder that's already in the space before you got there, you're in relationship with this other, the, the deity of the space. And, and then you can negotiate stuff. You can say, hey, I need your help. Or like, for example, there's this exercise to do, which is to walk into a bar with a pad of drawing paper and pencils and you sit there and you don't drink any alcohol. So you sit in there and you go in there about 5.30 in the evening. And you sit there, you plan to spend two hours there. So you go there with your paper and your pencil and you order tonic water or whatever, just without the gin. And you, 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 you sit there sipping your orange juice, whatever, and people start coming in. And if people start coming in, you can watch them come through the door and this shift will happen that they will be in relationship with the presiding deity of this space. Well, the presiding deity of a bar is basically Bacchus. I think that's how you say it. The god of, what is it called? Festivity or something, the god of party time. And so people have been at work, people have been out there. They walk in and this shift happens right when they walk through the door and they're, they're in under the influence of the presiding deity. And your job is to sketch on your paper when a person, as a person starts getting taken over by a demon, by the alcohol demon, and you sketch the demons. So to do that kind of work in a, in a bar, you would need to have a different kind of relationship with the presiding deity of the space or, or that, or you're gonna cause all hell for yourself. You know, people will pick a fight with you, whatever. So you walk in the bar, if you're gonna do this exercise, you have to walk in the bar with your pad and your paper, basically turn around, look up over the door and say, hey, I greet you. And, and it will greet you back. You say, I wanna do an experiment. I would like to draw pictures of the demons that show up when people start drinking. Is that okay with you? And pretty much, every time I've done that or something like that, the presiding deity is totally delighted, even if it's this gargoyle type thing, totally delighted that you are conscious of it being there, totally delighted that you're communicating with it and negotiating deals. And it might, it might throw in something like, and also draw a picture of me. You know, it could throw in something like that and you go, certainly. And then you, you work out the deal. And so you draw a picture of the presiding deity, this thing, and then you, but it's so incredible to be sitting there at a table, right, kind of right in the middle of the bar, not off in the corner, you're in the middle and you just watch people and you can hear their voice change. The laughter changes when the alcohol comes in. You know that the whole kind of, it doesn't take long. 
takes a couple of sips with people who are used to this. People are used to this. It takes one or two sips and that thing's on them. And then you draw this entity that, cre that creeps over them and sketch it out in as much detail as you can. You have to see it and let it know that you're seeing it. You don't do it a secret. And some people might come over. Hey, what are you doing? You go and you tell them exactly what you're doing. You know, I'm drawing sketches of the demons that come in and take over people as soon as they start drinking alcohol. And they basically they go, oh, cool, where's mine? You know, like that. You turn back and go, here's yours. And they go, oh, yeah, geez, okay, thanks. That's the end of the conversation. But it's, it's an incredibly fascinating experiment to do. I recommend it. I recommend you do it more than one time. But to do it, you need to be in relationship with the presiding deity of this space, or they will take you out. You know, there will be a conflict of purpose, a shift, you know, a conflict. They're trying to get people, you know, to do what everybody does in a bar, and you're trying to have awareness about it. Those two not, do not go together. So you just get in relationship and work out a deal. The bright or shadow character that is concocted out of the principles that work through that space, that's the presiding deity of the space. When you recognize and greet the presiding deity, it establishes a connection between you as the space navigator and the deity. So you're the space navigator and that's the deity. And it's this great collaboration, it's a fantastic collaboration. And it, in such a way that a profitable exchange can occur. This is called a reciprocal feeding. It's called a reciprocal feeding, resulting in a flow of blessings for everyone in this space. I just saw a note from Dor, and it was about this uh, uh, Jewish people kissing the mezuzah, which is a um, a sacred object that's tacked on the side of a door frame at the entry to a room. It is located on the right upper side of the door in every room, right, not knowing if that's when you're going in the room or exiting the room, or if you have two rooms, which side it's on. But in any case, um, it contains the form of the Jewish spiritual path. So it's just a, an artifact from that tradition. I think the purpose of that is a different purpose, which is a purpose of staying awake when you're going through the doorway. The purpose of remembering yourself when you're going through the doorway, because doorway is usually places where we fall asleep. It's so easy to just get knocked unconscious when you're moving from one space to another. So if you develop the habit of even touching a door frame and saying, hello, door frame, or something like that, you can, you can actually become awake when you go through a door rather than falling asleep. So I think that's just my personal opinion about what that thing is, door, but thanks for bringing it up. It's a, it's a, a spiritual practice of staying awake, which we highly recommend if you're a space navigator. So given all that stuff, are there any comments or sharings, any other comments or questions? You gave the example of going into a bar and drawing, and I wasn't sure if you're suggesting that in, in any other kind of situation, there's a presiding deity and the, the need to, in order to negotiate and navigate the space, you need to connect with that. I am. 
know there is one and connect with it. Yes. Energetically, right? Well, what do you mean? Try to shake its hand and your hand will go through empty space. I mean, this is, yeah. it's all energetic. Right. Energetic does not mean something less real. So it's, so yeah, but I mean, in the post office, there's this presiding deity in this space and it's essentially, you know, this bureaucratic zone where the bureaucrats have power over your life and you have to wait until they deign themselves worthy of giving you their attention to say next, please. You know, after they're done, and Chloe has this story where it was like 15 minute conversation between three post office workers trying to sell one person a lottery ticket. And she had to stand in line for the 15 minutes waiting for <laughs> before they would go next, please. So they have the power in the space. So it's this bureaucratic power deity. And you can, you, if there's a list of experiments we've developed over the last two decades called the post office experiments. You know, it's what to do while you're standing in line at a post office. And they're mostly very nonlinear and hysterical and just bizarre. I mean, so like you stand in line and you turn around to the person behind you and say, I've, I'm practicing scanning five bodies and I need, I need some feedback. So while we're standing here, can I scan your five bodies and tell you what I see? And you tell me if I'm accurate or not. And so there's, there's tons of these kinds of experiments, but to do that in the post office without getting arrested, you, you would essentially need to negotiate with the presiding deity of this space and say, hey, dude, how's it going? I'd like to do a couple of experiments in here. Is that okay with you? No go, maybe. You go, listen, I won't, I won't disturb this space really. I just want to do my experiments. You go, well, okay, keep your mask on, like that. But it's a great, it's a yes. So every space has it. So uh, start noticing. You know, a lot of times when we're going to do a training, of course, there's already a presiding deity in a space, but it's a space holder for a training space. And so they're really flexible in terms of what kind of spaces happen in there as long as it serves the, the purpose. But if you're going to a shop, like every shop has a different uh, feel to it. You know, each clothing store has this mood or a style or a, a feeling they want you to have. And, and so when you walk into each shop, just pause for a second, take a breath, and you can even turn around and look up above the door and just appreciate the qualities of the presiding deity of the space. And you know there's, there's stores you just walk right by and you just go, you, you never would go in there. You just would walk by the store, you never would go in there. Like, it was funny because Aunt Chloe and I, every time we drove through this town on La Gomera, we look at this one cafe, we look at each other and go, we will never go in this cafe, never. And every time we drove by, we'd get, we would say it because it's just the, the resonance of the space was just so off from ours. But I would go in there to do this experiment, to do experiments. But it's, yeah. Was that a question that went by? Was that from Janet? Did you have a question or who, who just wrote that thing? I did. I was just wanted to hear you make the the, the Jim Bro deity sound. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those spaces I never go in. 
No, there's one in town this morning. I went to the shop and I walked right by and they, they had their doors wide open. And so in that particular gym, here, here they are in this village and some island, you know, off the coast of Africa. And there's mostly these kind of uh, excommunicated Spanish people living here who are not really Spanish and they're not really, they don't know what they are. They don't really have an identity. And so this, this shop, the deity of this gym shop is trying to bring in, is trying to call in this, well, we're fitness people. You know, we've got all these mountains and we could do fitness here. So every time I walk by, there's about three people in there. There's no, you know, they have this huge space and all this gear and there's about three people and you walk by the door and it's this survival space. Please come and be with us. Please join us. Please help us change the identity of the island and become real people. Like we can be fit. You can wear this elastic costume with this swimsuit. You can pick up these heavy weights with us and bounce on these machines. And I'm just, I can feel this sucking energy trying to come in and be like that. And I go, this is a really poor presiding deity. It's like, you know, it isn't this like, you know, goddess or God, you know, standing in front going, yeah, like this is like, like this. So in any case, <laughs> I mean, it, it's wonderful to have this vocabulary and be able to talk with each other about stuff that's really happening, has been happening ever since there were human beings on the planet. There were always these deities around and the, the energetics of space has existed the whole time. And the, I'm sure you know how, for example, the Druid people would find these sacred spaces and, and honor them with, um, uh, with rituals and candles and, and you know, rituals and stuff. And then, then the, the Christian churches would come in, they would scan for these energetic spaces and they'd plop a church, you know, a chapel right exactly on top of whatever was there you know, to crush the space with their, you know, to conquer it with their fanatical belief system, you know, this insane kind of belief system. And it would be this, you know, there's a great, this books by Martin Prechtel about the Mayans and the Christians down in, in uh, Central America, how, how the, the Mayans came and dug a hole in the middle of the church floor right where their hole was they were honoring this hole and so the church guys would would come in and fill the hole with concrete and then the next week the mayans would come in and chisel out all the concrete and do their ritual on the hole and then the next guy they put stones in it and then they would take the stones out and do their ritual and they they had this battle going on about what the purpose of the hole was that, that they built the church right on top of this hole and they negotiated this deal where they put a rock over the hole. And anytime the Mayans wanted to do their ritual, they would just come in, take the rock off, do the ritual and put the rock back. And that's still today what is happening with the space. I, I, I think uh, that, that statement that you made about it not being any less real is really big and really important because I think our culture my culture, what I, where I, what I was raised in was... Is all, that your culture? Huh? Is that your culture? No, well, it, the, what I was raised in... Jeff, 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 I mean, careful the, what you're saying. First you said our culture. Yeah, I... I, I Wait, I changed. slow down. But you did not. You did not. 
you know, what you're saying in, is an invocation. And the way you said it is an invocation. And first you tried to suck everybody into our culture. And then you, you backed off and you said, my culture. And I'm just asking you really, so you're taking a stand to represent, you walk around your day inside of the capitalist patriarchal empire and call it your culture. Mm. It's a very powerful thing to distinguish, especially in your words, but also energetically. So what culture do you walk around in? Are you carrying a bubble of next culture of archaeological space or however you want to call it, you know, the Jeff Shubes culture space? Are you walking around in that or are you so adaptive that you, wherever you are, you, uh, you be adaptive and give away the culture, try to be like a chameleon, a cultural chameleon so people can relate to you or connect to you? You know, this is, I'm not blaming you or saying anything. I'm just asking the question for everybody. To what degree do you take responsibility for that culture that you represent in the world? Or are you adaptive and try to fit into other cultures that are around you and just give your center away and your authority away to any culture that has more votes than you? Or can you walk into a room full of a thousand people who are Republicans or stockbrokers or people trying to sell meat in the meat market and, and, and can you hold your space even in the face of that over number, you know, overpowering number of votes? They outvote you a thousand to one and you can still hold your space as a bubble. And it starts with the way we say it. So that's what I was just saying. So excuse me for interrupting you, but thank you for demonstrating the, what's, what's at stake here in terms of energetics. And words are powerful. We can words are powerful energetic tools, and that's why I was I was stopping you the twice so that you could reflect on what you're actually invoking in this space in terms of what you wanted to share, and this would be a do-over. So please please do it over. Thank you. What I what I wanted to say is that in the cult the culture in which I was raised, the what I what I knew is that it is all profane there is no there's only the material and the physical around me and you know like learn relearning this this energetic space um feeling has been a total shift and it's almost like i doubt myself still like i doubt my intuition i doubt my you know the first thing that comes to me I doubt it and opening myself up to, to saying, okay, well, I, I doubt it. And, and, and it's still right. And it's still what's right for me. Right. And it's, I'm still going to go in, go with it and go into it. That's it's um, so important. Like it's that it's not any less real for me. So Jeff, Jeff, do you have an identity that no one can take your authority away from you. You have an identity that it's impossible for another culture to take your identity away, that your power from that. Do you have one that you use or you do not? Yes. What, what is that? Well, it's, it's, gonna, it's starting to be named Yahef, which means barefoot in Hebrew, which is my, it's what I do in my life. I, I, I have this identity and this commitment to 
honoring the, the sacredness of my body and its non-need for anything. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's how I walk this earth, you know? Yahef. Yes. In the Yahef relationship to things, wh what is this object you're wearing around your neck? It's a, it's a Merkava that is my centering reminder. So it is not an archetypal lineage, talisman. Well, my, my talisman, which breaks the rules of talismans, is actually my earthing, my grounding cord. And this is what I use. This, is, this keeps me grounded. It keeps me present. Okay. All I wanted to say was in the in the Possibilikin culture that I walk around in, the archetypal lineage talisman is worn up above the heart because that's where the doorway is for this channel where the archetypal lineage comes in. And if you wanted to make use of that channel, you would wear the talisman up above your heart, up there, like up, up here, yeah. up ab above where your heart is. <clears throat> and you can experiment with that, but that's just in our culture. So, so thank you for sharing that. Yahef. Thank you. I have some friends who walk barefoot who I should, you know, Cornelius and Georg Pollitt, they should hear the name of this and that you guys can get together. Something might happen. And I want to thank Dor for, for helping to bestow that, that, that title, helping to, to, to call that in for me, with me. Yeah, cool, thank you. I just- Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. I wanted to say, Jeff, if you wanna connect with also a very cool guy who is works mm. barefoot and his whole service is how to basically live with almost nothing, like live with nature, uh, his name is Narab, Petrovic, I think. Nara Petrovic. Yeah. And he's in Slovenia. He lives in a community. He speaks really perfect English. And he's a and he's really just this amazing guy to talk to. So yeah, if you if you want to just let me know, let me know and I'll I'll put you in contact. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, some people do something like that to be eccentric. And I, I distinguish this word eccentric from neurotic in that eccentric is more about, look at me, I'm weird. You know, I get attention because I'm different. Whereas certain forms of, of neurotic behavior actually behavior that does, does not match the, the surrounding norms, but it feeds your archetypal lineage. And so then it would be, yeah, I wanted to just make sure, because some people you know, market themselves eccentrically as the barefoot, like there's a guy in Seattle called the Barefoot Sensei. And I, I don't know if you could connect with him or not because he kind of uses it as his brand. I think National Geographic or somebody made a short video of him. And so then he has this title or brand. And there's another guy in Japan I know. So, um, but if, you, if it's worn as a, with a different purpose than being weird or uh, like a brand, like, a, you know, unique, if it's, if it's worn as a, like you were talking about and like Dor was talking about, 
that would be a, that has more cultural interest. It's a, something people could turn on about. And because it isn't just you, it's a possibility for them. So when you do it, they might want to be able to have that liberation experience themselves and have a whole new relationship with Gaia and the earth and their body and the, the qualities of you know, sensations and stuff that's going on, the aliveness of it, the aliveness of it. And that's a, a path, you know, and that's a whole path. So that, yeah, thank you. Did somebody else? I want to share a... something. Go ahead. <clears throat> so when I just, uh, I'm in Mexico now, but I was just with Jeff for almost a month. And we, we had this culture that I think it's, the way I see it is, is a possibility management culture, which I thought was really beautiful because it's like always giving feedback to each other and always questioning. And is, is that your gremlin? And, and having all this, you know, deeper connection is like, wait, stop. Can you, can you talk from your feelings right now? And, and it just, it's like, it was the first time I actually lived with someone and it was with Jeff and Giselle also that we could actually leave this culture, which was amazing. And we also had this, you know, subculture of pirates. We're walking around creating this archetypal chaos, you know, everywhere we go. We go in a restaurant and instead of sitting in the restaurant, we started to talk to everyone in the restaurant. And we create this circle in the middle of the restaurant and everyone started to share and it becomes this, all this craziness. Nobody knows what's going on. And it's like, it was so beautiful. And um, yeah, I just wanted to, to say this legend about Jeff that is like actually living this possibility management culture or this pirate culture. And it was really beautiful to share that with him. So thank you, Jeff. Thank you for the legend. Or, or should I say a chef? Thank you. Yes, Kian, is that your hand? Go ahead. Yes. I um, had yesterday actually a conversation with my mother about uh, deities as well and like dark entities that can cling onto households or people and i i know about the spark experiment 135 where you also talk about this and one thing that she brought in was um light beings that that she read like this book about light entities being called also into the space and i never heard you talking about connecting with these entities as well. And so I wonder if you have something to say about calling light beings into the space or acknowledging them in, in creating a space or something like this. I do. I do. And what I would tell you has to do with some experiences that I had with regards to my first naive beginnings with training spaces where I was faced with creating possibility for people who really wanted it and needed it and had blocks and had burdens and had old decisions and had pain and had suffering and were and really wanted 
freedom from that. And I was in Texas. I was alone in a training space with this. And the guy, he really was, he was laying on the floor in this. He kind of collapsed onto the floor in this overwhelm. And I was, I had no idea what to do. You know, really, I was had no, I was not jacked into my archetypal lineage. I did not have clarity about my bright principles. I, I was really alone. And in that space was relatively unheld. And this little tiny angel light being showed up in the space, just said, I can help you. And I'm like, what? And I say, okay, help me, go ahead. And it went <clears throat> like this. And the guy lost his dark burden and that light being turned into this black vampire sort of thing and just was eating that stuff as it left the space. Like it just stopped in for like a fast food restaurant or something like that. And it, it just happened right in front of my eyes. I just said, I'm not doing this anymore. This is not how this works. That is not, you know, that was not organic. The guy didn't learn anything. I didn't learn anything. It's not gonna, it's not sustainable. And I sealed off the space with a stainless steel, more a stainless steel kind of space. And I said, we're going to figure this out ourselves because it, it, was a, it was not responsible to count on some light beings come in and save my ass. It was not a, it was not a, um, it was not a wizard action. It was, it was a, it's really precious to have a physical body. So there's tons of critters out there who are at least, you know, spinning energies that would like to have uh, a physical body. So, uh, so anytime people in, in the human beings often have this ability to, people leave their body sometimes. And as soon as people leave their body, something else is going to step in and take over. So those quote unquote light beings don't really necessarily represent anything good or positive or nice in my experience. And so what, what we're doing in possibility management is we jacked into the archetypal nature of the universe and at the archetypal level, what you might wanna call a light being is actually a bright principle. It has no personality. It does not have a personality. It's the form before the personality. You take consciousness and put it through a prism and it spreads out into all these bright principles, but you put them all together and it's essentially consciousness or love, it's archetypal love. And so you spread it out, you get bright principles, and then you can use bright principles in spaces without having to put a personality on it. So I have this idea that in all the religions uh, and all the Godhead systems, like the Greek gods and the Roman gods and the, all of the, the systems of, of the, the Hindu gods, like all the Japanese gods, like all this Chinese gods, these are all actually personifications of bright principles that's a, that actually blocks the bright principles. It interferes with it. And we're designed, human beings are designed to jack straight in to the source, to the bright principles themselves or raw consciousness themselves. And so, and that's, this is, I, we didn't learn that from somebody teaching that to us. We learned it from experimenting, from straight experience. And so I don't recommend 
fooling yourself thinking that you're calling in a light being when you have no idea what you're doing. It's just some creature that's intervening in between gonna party on whatever, whatever naivety you have in the space. That's my opinion. I mean, I was, I was with Maladoma Somme, who's a famous uh, African uh, to 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 token reader. A char uh, you know, you throw the things on the ground and you can read all those things. What are those charms? No, they're, what, they're called something else. Somebody know what that's called? You can, you can read. Yeah, what? Runes? No, that's druidic. These are just bones and stones and sticks and shells and things like that. It's a, in any case, he's really good at reading this stuff. And it's wonderful to get a reading from him. You know, he just uses that as an interface to scan your energetic body and tell you what's happening from his opinion. But in the workshop, he started drumming and he was jacking people into quote unquote ancestors, these stupid white people who have no idea about what ancestors really are and what, what tradition is and what the, what the whole African voodoo or whatever, all these traditions, they've spent their whole lives figuring out ways to protect themselves and to negotiate deals with these energetic things. And he was doing this drumming ceremony where people would go into a trance and he would make contracts between the white people and the ancestors. In a, and it was just this sort of vampire situation. I just said, we're, be, we're just being really stupid. I, as soon as I saw it was happening, I took off out of that room and never came back. So I just warn you to be really aware and careful of stuff. You know, if you're born and raised in a culture that teaches you how to negotiate deals with the ancestors, that's one thing. But, you know, as stupid white people trying to think we we're doing something that we, you know, sounds cool, watch out, let the buyer beware. So that's a little bit of what I think about your question. Thank you for yeah. asking. Was giving a little space for that to settle, settle in. In the book, the next paragraph starts with exactly the consideration that I was saying, which is, it says, don't worry if the previous few paragraphs do not make sense to you right now because it was pretty wild stuff, this whole thing about the presiding deities and the energetic world. Don't worry if it doesn't make any sense. The concepts come from outside of ordinary Western culture, and they will only become interesting and useful as you develop your own space holding and space navigation skills, where the, where the energetic world starts becoming, where the distinctions of the energetic world start becoming important to you is when you start holding and navigating consciously energetic space. 
In the meantime, make a mental note that the information is here so that you can return to it as needed while you're experimenting further. Which is to say, just like Kian, just like you did, you just said, gosh, I just heard about this thing. It sort of touches me. Can you say more about it? Like in a space like this, that's a great question to ask because oftentimes there is more clarity about what you're asking about. And it's just helpful to share that with each other. So that's why it's a great question. And then you have this idea, okay, there are some people who've been experimenting with this for a while and who have pretty, some experience. So I can talk to them when I need more information. So when you start doing your own experiments, you'll discover a lot. And then, and then when you have questions, there are people you can talk to. So that's the, that's the main idea. So Kian, thanks for asking. I have a question as well. Go ahead. Um, so I found out while you were talking about a deity that is in the workplace that I am, and I call her the sugar judgment auntie. And it's an ice cream place. And she's this, it's this really fat lady with the glasses and she's like, over the door and she's always like what's going on here oh you want that mm -hmm. and she's doing that so i just found out about this wow. and i want to do an experiment how this place would change if i go there and greet her and how because i'm working there since three years and it, this is the moment where i realized that this this is there so this is big um and my, I have a question, or I want to ask um, for possibilities for such an experiment as you described with the drawing, drawing the demons, because I'm working the whole time, because I'm like, I'm, I'm working, so I can't sit down and draw something, but I would ask all of you if you have any possibilities for me, what an experiment like this could look like, what I can watch out for. I'd like to recommend one that would, if, if you could find a place, a small place, you know, where you could, that's out of the way a little bit, that is in the corner or on in, in a wall, where you could build a little altar to the deity of the space. Mm -hmm. And it's great to have a candle, it's great to have some flowers, it's great to have uh, a colorful object or a natural object or something but you could also ask her you could in a little conversation you could privately say i'm building a little altar to honor your presence in this space what would you like on your altar and then you'll get this flash of this image and you go i'll see what i can do about it you don't have to make a promise you just say i'll see what i can do about it and then you make some effort to find a little glass you know, maybe it's an elephant with a dancing elephant made out of, of uh, ceramic or, or something, you know, whatever she would like. And that would automatically, you'll, you dust off the altar, you change the candle, you change the flower, water the flower. This attention on the altar will completely change your relationship where she's getting fed, you're getting fed, and the space is getting fed and your customers are getting fed. Like the whole thing is a, is a fantastic 
raises the consciousness in this space and it, everybody gets fed at the energetic level in addition to having great ice cream. That's one possibility. Thank you. You're welcome. I wonder if maybe you asked your question in the beginning why people just come back into the space of ordinary. This might be because like the deity is only available for that. And even if the space is held, it might be, yeah, st just still push, push back again. And you wake up in the morning and the deity has the space over. And I'm in a different space at the moment. And I also made the experiment, the, the experience before that I held space and there was some sort of yeah, chaos between what I wanted in the space and what some, some, something else wanted in the space. And there was no space holder. Like I, I could sense that there was nobody holding the space, but still there was something off. And I think this is really, really important to greet the deity and to, yeah, to just acknowledge him or her or, yeah, it, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Gabriel. And don't expect the deity of the space to, it is not a space holder. There's a very big difference between having this form, like an energetic form there and who's the space holder. And so when you are the space holder, like really I'm the space holder. I walk into a space and I'm, I'm holding the space. I just, I hold the space. And when, but I don't kick out. I don't try to fight against the presiding deity. So I hold the space in a way that includes the presiding deity in a kind of collaboration. So, but if you walk into a space where there's, and you, you're not holding the space, then what is? You know, what's holding the space when you're not? And we think, well, I'm in somebody else's house. I'm in somebody else's meeting. I'm in somebody else's workshop. What, uh, how can I hold space? Well, do it. Just do it. I mean, I've been in so many spaces where there are professional speakers and stuff, and they, they didn't know how to hold space. They knew how to talk. They knew their material and subject matter and they could tell amazing stories, but they were not holding space. But when I held the space for them to speak into, totally amazing stuff happened. I mean, there was this time back in college when Buckminster Fuller, I don't know if you know who that guy is, came to our college to give this talk. And I was just blown away. I was excited. And I get there and there's 300 people in this packed in this auditorium. And here's Buckminster Fuller. Phyllis, were you there? I don't know if you remember that. Were you there? In yes, I was. I remember it. So, okay. Well, let me tell my story and you tell me where I'm wrong, okay? But he went, he was talking and he has such clear sort of worldview about stuff that he was, and, he, and I had my, my grounding cord. I was listening. I was listening to this guy. And so... He kept talking and talking and talking and people got full. People were full in 20 minutes. People were full in a half hour. People started to leave. 
And so he kept talking. And so I kept listening. And so people left. So by after an hour and a half, essentially the whole room was empty except for a few people. And he just kept talking because there was somebody there. So I just committed to being this space into which he could speak. And I think he went at least two hours, two and a half hours, something like that, until I was the only guy there, as far as I remember. And I was, and finally he stopped. He finally, after two and a half hours, my, my brain was completely fried. I mean, this, this guy could talk, Jesus, he could download stuff. He, and I don't know what I really got out of it, but I was totally focused and committed to him speaking so anyway i could hold space for him to speak into so anybody there could benefit and that that you can do that kind of service what do you remember phyllis i remember pretty much what you said except for being the last person there i don't remember that um, that's because you left it could be <laughs> i don't know <laughs> 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 thanks for going along with the with the joke yeah. anyway yeah okay thank you yeah. yeah thank you gabriel cool somebody else have something else yeah and chloe well for tara in terms of asking for possibility for experiments and i mean i've worked in restaurant i was a waitress and so I also have a sense of like, when the job is done, I just want to get out of there, uh, not stick around. But but you could come 10 minutes early or stay 10 minutes after your shift, you change your clothes so you're not, you know, people don't come to you and just and just stick around and check out what, and then, and then, and then draw people. I mean, it wouldn't take you very long to draw, yeah. Another thing is, if you get in touch with the deity, find her name, say, my name is Tara, what is your name? And she'll tell you her name probably. And say, great, whatever her name is. You say, <clears throat> I'd like to, is there, do you have one little wish for this space? And she might say, you know, I hate it when the glass in front of the ice cream is sticky, or I really need the, uh, that mirror clean, or I need the refrigerator door cleaned up, or I, whatever, it could be one little thing. And so each day you could spend 60 seconds polishing up this one thing or putting things in, in some kind of order or whatever it is. And that would also change the quality of the space because you would be feeding energy into the space and into her. And it's just a 60 second thing. It's no, not a big deal. But oftentimes it's cleaning up something or putting things in order in a certain way that honors the deity. Thank you, Anne Chloe. Thank you, Clinton. Yeah, you're welcome. I would read another paragraph or so. Uh, Irene, were you going to say something? Okay. <clears throat> what is crucial for you to know right now, after reading all this stuff that we just went through, is that what happens and what is possible in each conversation or each moment in your relationship does not happen or become possible by accident. 
What happens is not an accident. It happens or becomes possible according to what space you are holding. The quality of the space is the determining factor. I mean, yeah, sure, there's tons of determining factors, like what kind of attention you're holding, how much free attention you have, if you have your center, your grounding cord, your bubble, like there's a lot of factors involved, but the quality of the space determines what's possible. If what is happening right now in the space does not match what you want or need, you can simply stay in contact with your partner or whoever else is in the space and then lean your shoulder up against the wall of the energetic space and direct your attention so as to make an energetic sucking gesture, like you include everybody with you and lean up against the wall of the space and suddenly you will be in the next space and whoever was in contact with you at the moment will also be in the new space with you. This is just one of the space navigating tools just called shifting space by leaning on the wall of the space and bringing people with you. If you've been in any training with me or Anne Chloe, we do it five times a day or more. You can see us doing it. So, and you can just learn to do that in your relationship or in your, in your home, wherever. Since every space is connected to every other space, Oh, this is cool. I didn't know I put this stuff in here. Every space is connected to every other space. You can get to anywhere from here. And I, it doesn't say it, how it works, but I figured it out just about a year or so ago, how this works. I've known for a long time that every space is connected to every other space. So you can get to any space you're in, to every other space. Uh, and how does that work? Well, it works because there is a gap between spaces. There's a gap between spaces. So what is in the gap between spaces? That would be a time when you would say something. The possibility of going to any other space. Somebody else? So I, I think what's in the gap is a willingness. You know, one person can lean in and then there has to be another person that chooses to go along with it, that chooses to engage. And, you know, I was practicing this yesterday, actually, um, consciously, and it was quite amazing. And there were some things that I was really hesitant to ask or yeah, some questions, some dangerous questions. And, uh, and then I decided to do it anyhow. And yeah, the result was just a lot more connection. It was really, it's really nice. Yeah. Thank you. I say the space between spaces is the choice of the of being in the emptiness and you, and there's that possibility of all creation. Yeah, cool, thank you, Annie. Anne Elizabeth, right? So, yeah, the Well, gap, you did say that we can change our names at will. Yes, 
It helps if you write it though. Otherwise we're relying on my memory of names and that's not legendary. I mean, it is legendary, but not in a very positive way. So, but, so I'm proposing or offering that in the gap between spaces, what's between spaces is nothing, nothingness. And the nothingness in the space where you, around the space where you are is the same nothingness around all spaces. So if you drop, if you drop out of your space into the nothingness, every other space is possible to access to. And so you, that's why you can pop into a new space, any other space from whatever space you're in, when getting it that, it that what you're in is the nothing. But a lot of people, most of us are terrified of that experience of the nothingness. And so it really helps, it really helps to jump into cenotes because cenotes are these holes in the ground where it's like 15 meters of space and then water. You just drop off the rock, you go 15 meters down and then you hit pure fresh spring water and it, it's really deep. So you just have to learn how to be in the nothingness. It's a really, it's a great metaphor for being in the nothingness. So you practice facing into your fear of bottomlessness, of groundlessness. And as Pema Chodron says, who's a, a Buddhist nun, she says, the nature of reality is groundlessness. And if you practice being in the nothingness with there, where there is no ground, you don't have to do it for such a long time, but you can exit one space, be in the nothingness, pop out on another space and, and take people with you as Phyllis was talking about. And this just actually really works, just like she said. So the door you were asking for a gesture, it's not a physical gesture. It's an energetic gesture. It's done by intention and will and attention. So you put your attention on the wall with your intention, you move your shoulder over there. Your, your will is you connect to everybody else who's in the space, who's with you, who's talking to you, who would like to go with you. And while you're in connection, step sideways energetically, right through the wall, you just really pop through, you go quickly through the nothing and you're in the next space. And everybody who is connected with you is with you in the next space. And it's just, it's a literal description of one of the ways to navigate space and to go on a, a discovery journey with a team of people like that. Thank you, know, you. Yeah, there's no physical, there's no physical gesture, but the physical accompanies the energetic. I mean, there's this fantastic connection between the physical and the energetic. I mean, if you think of fire walking, you know, fire walking is a very physical, real thing. And if you're trying to do fire walking in the wrong space, your feet turn into fried bacon. So you really need the energetic space to shift so that this real thing can happen. I mean, that's, if you've, that we've, you know, we have been putting up, or, or at 73, I think, we have 73 videos of possibility coaching sessions online right now at the Create Possibility website. And if you just start watching them, you just watch every single one of those, 
you will see over and over again where the space holder is doing what we just said. The space holder is, is shifting the space so that a different thing is possible. And you will see, you will see the client have whole new options in their life. And then there's these anchoring moves, like you actually give the new space to the client. It's a space that they own then. It's not your space as the space holder. You give them that space and you do whatever you can so they can create that space from then on in their life. But it's it's just a, it's spectacularly effective, this energetic space navigation in terms of it really creates different possibilities in the physical spaces of people's lives. And then magic happens. Honest, go ahead. Yeah, last time I, or one of the last times I um, said that I'm in, the, in a sabbatical and um, comes up to my mind that maybe the sabbatical has for me the meaning of to to be in a space of nothing between spaces to to be not connected to any principles or to anything that that happens in any room uh, or because sometimes i feel like i'm not really aware of what are the principles of a room and i i become unsure and um, I do not feel like I am, yes, authentic or like I am um, really the, um, yes, conscious of what's going on there and what forces are uh, pulling on me or on what kind of hooks I am and what I feel to be forced to do or something like that. And I mean, that's a real, my, yeah, there's, there's a sentence I always say, I want to have a lot of possibilities or as many possibilities as, as possible, but maybe that is a space I cannot hold. And through this time in this vertical, I try to reduce all these possibilities to, 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 to have, a, to find a space maybe where I feel safe in, where I know the principles. It's, it's just an idea coming up. I have no idea what's, what's really behind it, but it's reading this chapter you, you were just going through is, is um, really overwhelming me by becoming aware that every space has principles. And if I'm not uh, aware of these principles, what's going on in the space, I feel lost. Thank you. There's a, a hint for you that I would suggest, which is a journey such as what you are undertaking, this kind of a journey, sabbatical journey, I don't recommend doing that alone. I recommend doing that with a small team. And so they can, they can hold space for you to go through these things. Because otherwise, if you do that by yourself, so I don't know if you have a team, 
you need one or two or maybe three, two or three people who are ongoingly every couple of days talking about and, and navigating you through the emotional healing processes and the, and the liquid states that will come up in a process like that. So I would really recommend, because otherwise you just get lost trying to figure it out in your own head and it will turn out just not as fruitful as if you have some people who are not really in that in-between space like you are, they're not in that space, but they can hold space for you to be going through that. That can be very, very fruitful. Otherwise you can just be confused. I'm talking from personal experience. I've, I've had certain sabbaticals alone in, even in the college days and they, I did not have a space holder. I did not have a, a partner or a team with me. And it was just not, it was very confusing and not very fruitful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I mean, you might ask for somebody here if they would produce an intervention for you, if they could do an intervention for you. During an intervention, you would not be able to, you would not be really in control. It's kind of like having a, uh, a blister under the skin, like a small infection under the skin. And you need, you're going around and around in this infection, trying to figure things out. What you need is somebody to take a needle, rip the skin open so the stuff can come out. And it, so it's not so comfortable, but it's very, it's healing. It's really healing. And you might ask if there's somebody who would do that process with you if you wanted. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm just thinking of what the process is. Or, yes, it's... you don't get to figure that out. You do not get to figure that out. You would be the passenger. Okay. Yes, I I, I really would appreciate if somebody, someone would like to do such a healing process with me or such a process of. So you said that you like it, but you did not ask. So you would have yeah, to phrase I... it differently. I'm, I'm searching for the words because uh, the meaning is not really up to my mind yet. Um, could you please repeat what the exact... Uh, yeah, exact, and um, we don't want to rush you. This is, we don't want to rush you. There's no hurry. What you would say is something like, would somebody please hold space for this process for me? But there's no hurry. You can do that now or never or whatever you want. Yeah, thanks. Give me a second, please. Yes, thanks. And at this time, the last few minutes here before we check out, is there anybody else who wanted to ask for a, a process? I would like a process. So go ahead and ask for it then. All right. Um... Uh, who would be willing to please uh, um, help me to process through? Uh, it feels like I have a a wall uh, to to break through, um, where I have certain kind of clarity, and then I, I'm yeah. backing off. Good. You don't have to try to understand the whole thing, but you did a great. So go ahead and see if anybody would like to help. Mm -hmm. 
I, I see Doris. Doris has her hand up. Dory and Keon. That'd be a great team. I, Doris, Dory, and Dory, Keon. And Dory Keon. and Keon. Yeah, Keon is here. Thank you. Yeah, cool. Anybody else? And I also have another question uh, about uh, the spaces uh, because you were talking about public spaces uh, mostly today, but uh, what I, I had to notice is that there's a, a heaviness here in my brother's home. And, and I guess I can, in, in thinking about it, I think the answer is yes, go look for the entities because here, even when the, no one is here and there's a very large house, I have trouble with the making noise. Yeah, same thing applies, all the same things. Public or private spaces, all the same principles. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you, everyone. We are tuning out for the talk right now, the conversation. Please see what you can do to continue the extraordinary space, defend it, hold it, you know, take it into your life and have a great week. We'll see you next week. Bye guys. Thank you. Bye-bye, thank you.